Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Swick Tech Leading Business Podcast. Uh, my name is Eric Clark. I'm one of the client success associates here at Swick Tech. And with me today is also Shane. I'll let you introduce yourself, Shane. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, excited to be here with you. Um, I'm also a client success associate working at Swick Tech. Um, I'm more excited to talk about cybersecurity today and a little bit about hopefully what we can provide to you to to solve some of those security holes in your organization. Yeah, we think, I mean, not even that we think, but from what we see in our seat on a daily basis from tickets coming in and uh, you know uh, inquiries coming in from people outside of our client base from a marketing perspective and also on the sales seat, uh, having a lot of uh, meetings with uh, business owners and such, the risk and concern around cybersecurity is a lot, depending yeah. on what you're doing. There's a lot of risk depending on what you're doing. and. Uh, additionally, there's just a lot of concern, and for good reason, there's a lot happening in that space right now. Uh, we grabbed a couple snippets uh, to kind of talk about what we think is going on in the bigger picture um, to a small degree. You know, we're we're, we're going to cover it as best we can, kind of on some broad strokes. We won't dive too deep into the technical details. Yeah, we'll get stories. into those a little bit. But before we before we dive into the cybersecurity stuff, Eric, um, how have things been? How are you doing? How's your weekend, how's the past couple of weeks been with working from home? Working from home is good. It's uh, it's nice having the three monitors set up. It, it makes the workflow convenient. Um, I'm going to be getting a new chair here soon, so that'll help a whole bunch. I've been using a pretty crummy old chair that I have at home. Uh, weekend was nice. Weather was perfect. It didn't do too much other than just a couple home projects, so nothing too crazy. Um, yeah, happy to be back at work. This week it's hot out today, so it's good to be in the AC. Man, you're crazy. The weather was nice and I didn't do anything, he says. We went to Devil's Lake yesterday uh, and went kayaking and hiking. It was, yeah, it was like 80 and sunny or something there. It was awesome. Wow, that's beautiful. What Did you get some good photos? Uh, I didn't, but my wife sure did, considering the fact that all she does is take photos. <laughs> Devil's Lake is but, beautiful. Yeah, we actually we met some of her, one of her good friends out there who is a also who's also a photographer. She owns her own business too, and uh, so I guess they traded services, so to speak. Yesterday, she took pictures of us. We took pictures of their family. Went on a hike and climbed around on the rocks and stuff. They had a couple of little ones, so that was entertaining too. Nice, no rattlesnakes. Uh, no rattlesnakes, um, really just insects, and there were like some turkey vultures or something flying above, but that was about it. But the kayaking was awesome. Did you guys so, swim too? A, a little, just like to get into the water and stuff by the kayaks and things like that. We didn't like jump in or anything, but yeah, that's a big place. Yeah, I actually did. Well, I did take my daughter fishing, and she likes to say shish, so she caught two shish. And it was a very exciting day for her. Nice. We did get out a little bit, just not too much. It was pretty local. Uh, certainly not out to Devil's Lake or anything. Yeah. Nice. That's great. That's great to hear. So yeah, speaking of, of Devil's Lake being like this deep, kind of ominous, unknown lake, right? It's got this scary title, Devil's Lake. Uh, I don't know. I feel like that kind of fits nicely with cybersecurity. It's this deep, uncharted uh, water, right? Maybe that's right. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll give you that one, I guess. Okay. 
Um, there was, so you shared an article, I shared one. The one that you shared uh, talked about cybersecurity insurance companies. Uh, I shared one similarly to that. What was one that you had shared? Yeah, actually, funnily enough, uh, what we started, we, you know, obviously we, we plan these topics at least a little bit in advance. So we didn't pick to talk about cybersecurity today, but I did some quick research this morning and a few hours ago, Kaspersky, uh, one of the larger cybersecurity firms in the space, um, they've had, you know, antivirus software before antivirus software was cool. So they've been around for a while. Um, they announced that they're gonna be sharing free online security talks. So it's been pointed out that like cybersecurity is such a major concern in today's landscape that these major companies, these large organizations are literally starting to offer up help for free, right? They're offering up their knowledge and their know-how just to try and stem some of the malicious attacks and the malicious actors that we have out there that are trying to break down these walls of these businesses to steal money. Um, so, you know, it always, we, we see this with IT and with everything, right? It's, it's not my problem until it's my problem, but mm -hmm. um, I feel like cybersecurity is exploding to the point where everyone is realizing it's a problem, even if it hasn't happened to me yet. And there, and so we're all trying to kind of help. And I hope that this podcast offers some of that too, right? I hope that this chat about cybersecurity and some of the webinars and stuff that we're doing around security, um, I hope that those really bring a lot of value to companies just so that they can know what they can be doing to protect themselves. So it was cool to see Kaspersky have that mentality, have that thought process kind of the same way we are. It's a big deal because they're not small. They're a big old company. Like you said, they've been doing cybersecurity and antivirus since before it was cool, kind of, right? One of these used to be annoying pop-ups. Yeah. Uh, that's fascinating. There's a, an organization called Coalition that uh, just received a $90 million Series C funding round that closed. And pre previous to that, they had closed a round for $40 million for their Series B. I don't know what their Series A round was, but um, these are big, big numbers. And Coalition is a cybersecurity insurance provider. So when you see things like that happening in the marketplace, those are very big dollars uh, going to some, you know, um, you know, some big companies that are playing in that space in terms of like the equity partners and things like that. But um, there's a lot of attention going to to that. Uh, one of the yeah, quotes just, that I, oh, go ahead. It's really good to see because uh, twofold, right? Like investors clearly see this as a value add for companies and organizations that are exploding because they know how to protect you. And on top of that right now, I mean, a lot of investing in stuff is kind of on pause or on hold or, you know, talks are slowing down just because of the economy we're in. So it's really huge to see this type of valuation right now. Yeah, yeah they've made it to unicorn status, you know, effectively, um, which is crazy. Uh, their, their claim when I pulled some of their quotes um, they said an ongoing threat of breaches and data exposures, data breaches and cyber attacks are now so commonplace that organizations can no longer afford to ignore them, kind of like what you just said a moment ago. Uh, and there's a growing awareness that insurance is often the only protection from catastrophic financial loss. So, you know, it is imperative to have an insurance policy in place for a worst case scenario. 
but there's a lot of things you can do to prevent an attack from even you know uh, happening and those claims can be really um i don't want i don't know what the word is but like punitive potentially insofar as like how they say what is covered based on the events and what had happened and maybe even what type of proactive things you do have in place i think at some point it might get to the point where like you know how healthcare can be less expensive for insurance if all of your employees are not smoking and enrolled in a wellness program et cetera, et cetera. I think that relationship might evolve with technology. If you have MFA in place and some other uh, technology barriers and a, a hardened perimeter, potentially you could save some money on your in your know, cybersecurity plan. I don't yeah, know if that exists or not yet, but I, I don't see why that wouldn't be a thing in the near future if it's not already out there. Right. It feels like it's a shame to me that we're to the point where we need cybersecurity insurance, even though it's obviously we do. Um, it's such a shame that we're there. And I don't know enough about cybersecurity to your or sorry, cybersecurity insurance to your point to say, like how they value your premiums and stuff. And if you have some of this stuff turned on or not, if it goes down, I would assume it does. Right. And so but either way, you don't want to have to use that insurance. Right, so last, last, last resort. And I know from what some of the partners we've talked with in the past through this topic, you know, they some of these insurance companies work with the FBI and they investigate root cause. And the insurance companies are working with those organizations to determine, like any insurance company, they're going to do more work to figure out how they're not going to pay it than they are going to pay it. That's just an insurance company, right? You get in a car crash and you're 10% at fault for just being present in your car, even though it wasn't your fault at all. Um, they're going to look for any reason to put some blame somewhere. So I don't know, at some point, do you, are you at fault for just having the internet, you know, like having some exposure? <laughs> right. Why, why did you start that business? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, yeah. Uh, insurance, that's a, that's a painful topic. All right. Anyway, <laughs> moving so on. So what can you do to prevent an attack? Like there is not a silver bullet. The life cycle of an attack is very dynamic. It can come from any place, any time and insert itself into your network through a lot of cracks and crevices. So it's not so linear that, oh, well, if it starts here, we can stop it this way. Um, there's not like that bottleneck there. It's it's really dynamic. You have a lot of holes that you need to kind of plug and, and tighten up. Um, but if we talk about multi-factor authentication, that's probably one of the most, I guess, the lowest hanging fruit with the most bang for its buck in terms of preventing a lot of attacks. And it's commonly called MFA. I think I already said MFA a little bit earlier, um, but I wanted to call out what that actually does stand for. And yeah. it's something that we've been deploying everywhere. Yeah. And Eric, before we dive too far into the specific items, I do want to call out like these first couple we're going to mention, right? Like MFA and, and we have a few other queued up here. Um, I think these are more about how do you help your people? How do you help your staff better protect themselves, right? So you're, you're stopping the opportunity for someone to be tricked, for someone to think they got an email from someone they didn't. Um, and click on the link and type in their password and, and, and now they're compromised. So we're, we're trying to help the people with these first few. Uh, and then we'll get into a few more technology changes that you can make, right? So the second category is types of solutions you can deploy that are going to minimize the need for your people to even worry about these things. But anyway, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. More of like the social engineering side of things versus the brute force. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, absolutely. Cool, so yeah, like you said, this first one, right, is multi-factor authentication. Um, for those who don't know, uh, multi-factor authentication is this concept where you have multiple forms of 
logging into your account. So rather than having just a password, which is something that you know individually and you can just tell someone or accidentally give it away, type it into a website that's malicious, et cetera, you also have a second form of authentication. Usually that is something that you have, right? So it's your phone is the most common version of this. Um, and you can put an app on your phone. A lot of them will text you to your device, um, but it's it's another code that you're gonna have to enter to get logged in. So it's stopping scenarios where someone might get your password or guess your password and be able to just log into your account. Instead, now they're gonna have to enter in that code that they don't have, right? Because it's stored on your phone or coming to your text messages. And so they won't be able to get into your account. So even if you fall for something and type in your password somewhere or someone guesses your password, if heaven forbid it's password one, two, three, four, five, uh, then um, they, this will stop them from that. So obviously we recommend turning on something like this for anything and everything where it's possible. Um, Eric, what, how many systems do you think we have multi-factor authentication on at SwickTech? All of them? <laughs> It's not a number, but yeah, it is. I think yeah, it I can't is log into anything right? without yeah. approving uh, the request, you know, through through MFA, whether that's through like the Authenticator app or or what have you, like that. Yeah, it's it's very it's many. Yeah, uh, off the top of my head, I can think of everything that I log into to do my job. So our monitoring tools for our clients, our password vault for our own passwords has MFA. Our Office 365 accounts, which is one of the most prevalent ones out there, has MFA turned on. Our VPN connection, right? So the remote back into the office has MFA on it. And those are just the obvious ones that we use all day, every day. Um, a lot of our other systems have it on, and I just don't even have to use it, fortunately, um, because I don't, you know, switch computers or log out, or sorry, not log out, or log in on a different web browser or something like that. Um, but yeah, uh, Office 365, right? That's that's a hot item right now. Microsoft Office 365, everyone's using it. If you have a business that started recently, or if you're up on technology, you're probably using Microsoft Office 365 for your email environment, maybe even for the Microsoft Teams collaboration piece for um communicating with meetings and calls recording your podcasts like we do at swick tech um, <laughs> there's all kinds of uses for microsoft office 365 and even if you're not maybe using office 365 you have, you're going to have a very similar tool right like g suite um, from google so something of that nature where you're hosting your email through a third party because it, it just makes so much more sense nowadays you get so much more technology and features from it mm -hmm. um, rather than hosting it in-house. And so everyone's got this, um, but not everyone turns on MFA, right? It's not like a standard practice. Like you have it on your LinkedIn account, you have it on your Facebook, you have it on Instagram, like even the places you might spend time socially, digitally, digital social, <laughs> uh, you can, it's the functionality is there. You just have to go turn it on mm -hmm. and it might feel kind of, um, you know, like there's some friction as you start to go down that path. But every time you're re requesting that information, you feel good about it because you know if some bad actor gets in there and you see that come through, you're gonna be like, holy crap, I didn't try to log in right now. Someone just tried to hack me. And you'll have that awareness that you just prevented someone from getting your information. And like, especially as business professionals, like 
the one area we, we recommend to do it if for, for personal is go to LinkedIn. If you're spending any time there as a business professional doing any sort of networking or even job hunting for like HR, et cetera, um, or like recruiting, then like, please go to LinkedIn or Google how to turn an MFA on for LinkedIn. It's very easy. And once you do it, it's set up and you're good. And if someone tries to log in, that's not you, you're going to get that notification and you simply deny it. It's, it's interesting that you point out the like friction or traction that some people might get from the first time of like starting to learn how to use MFA and stuff. Um, but it's really, it's not as hard as it sounds. Honestly, like your bank account probably already has it turned on. Even if you don't realize it, uh, a lot of banks it's required automatically use multi-factor authentication and they'll, they'll text you if there's a login from a you know a different computer or IP address that you say this was me or this wasn't me right like yeah. and then there's two-factor authentication there's multi-factor and I forget there's another leg up for multi-factor I think it's like dynamic multi-factor or something um, but like any of those things is better than not having it at all yeah and there's certainly ways around it right Dave there you can research it and there's articles that talk about how there's firms that have figured out a way to like hack multi-factor authentication but the odds of that happening compared to just the traditional compromises are so much smaller that it's just still a huge boost to your security to have it turned on for those tools that you have in your environment. Um, again, like Office 365 or your email application, right? If you use G Suite or something else, having it lit up for that where everyone spends the majority of their day, right? Accessing emails and files and stuff like that. Uh, it's just a, it's an instantaneous fix. I cannot, I can't possibly count the number of stories or scenarios I've heard of people having their Office 365 account compromised and it was purely, if they had had MFA on, this wouldn't have happened, right? And it, you know, now you stop all of those headaches, whether that compromise leads to something malicious or not, like you just, you don't want it to happen, trust me. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, I've heard horror stories of how much this can cost organizations. And uh, in some cases, I've heard it all the way up into the millions, the several millions. So and that's in legal fees, lost uh, lost revenue from opportunities, lost production, um, you know, the ransom itself, having to pay that back. Like the costs are greater than just paying some ransomware. It's your reputation. Um, it's your employees' time and effort if they have to go back to some sort of analog mode or something like that, or they lose a month of work or a day of work or whatever it looks like the mental anguish of having to recreate a spreadsheet is something you work very hard on or a PowerPoint, like not good, you know, not good. So it's just, it's, it's one of the best ways to, like you said, increase your security posture, um, make a big impact on it. The next one on the list is password vaults. Um, how do you see this fitting into the equation as far as kind of leveling up that security posture? Yeah. So I think password vaults go hand in hand with MFA, right? They're the other piece of tech that we can use to help people help themselves. Um, I don't know how many people I know that just remember their passwords, right? And which means they're not very unique um, and they're probably not different, right? Even if you change like a single character or something in a few of your different passwords, um, if you can remember them, that means that you don't have enough passwords and they're not hard. Uh, so that's where this password vault comes in play, where you can store all of your unique passwords, right? So you can have a different password, should be, you know, a random string of characters and letters and, and numbers um, that you don't have to remember for every single site that you access. And 
a lot of these password vaults make it really easy to use, right? So people are thinking, oh, well, now I have to go to the password vault. I have to get my new password. I have to say, copy it, paste it over to the account, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever you're logging in and then sign in. And now I have my MFA prompt. This is becoming impossible. Um, but the technology is really helping make it super easy. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of these password tools now will have ways that you can have some sort of browser extension or a quick, easy way to copy paste that password from your password vault securely, right? Just locally on your computer so that you don't have to remember those passwords. Now, not only is it harder for you to accidentally give away that password because you're gonna have to mentally think about that individual password and go retrieve it from your password vault in order to get compromised. Um, it's gonna be less likely for someone to guess it. So there's, you know, you're less likely to be brute forced and get someone access to your account. Uh, and then on top of that, it's unique to that individual account. So even if that password does get compromised, you only have to go change it on LinkedIn, not your 75 different accounts that you have access to. Because so, it's unique reach. That's a good point. Yeah, and there's there's some other benefits to it too, right? There's usually like some notes fields and stuff that you can put in there. They have fields for like security questions, um, all kinds of other useful stuff that you can store now in this secure vault so that you don't have to remember any of it. So none of it has to get compromised. Um, another important note on your password vault is you should put MFA on it. Right, so now we have point. I was gonna say, doesn't, this, doesn't that just make me a big target? If if a bad actor knows all of my passwords, everything is in this one place. Like, hmm, I want to get into that. So, how are you protecting that? That's that's uh, yeah. I think there's two big pieces to that. Then um, that obviously that password should be unique and different than any other password you use anywhere else, and it should be really hard, but something you can remember. Um, and there's all different ways you can do that. Right, there's different ways you can create a passphrase that still has some unique characters and stuff in it. Um, there's lots of research done that shows like an extremely lengthy password, but something like words that you'll remember. Characters, I think is the threshold for that. Yeah, there's lots of quantum computing. I think you're not gonna be able to crack that with today's technology. Correct, yeah. And so you gotta make that a unique and strong password, something that's not just like someone could think about by knowing you. Uh, and then you turn on the MFA feature, password vault too, so that someone can't, even if they compromise that password, they still can't get in. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think the, the even like, like the password phrases, it doesn't have to be something that's unique to you per se. It could be like, I will never forget my wedding anniversary. <laughs> How many characters is that, you know? Unless that becomes a really common one and that that's like what people try. I don't know, but it's that type of concept, right? And then the fun yeah. thing for that is I'll never forget it, right? Because I'm telling myself that every single day when I have to type it in somewhere <laughs> that I won't forget it. Um, I think you might still forget it, but. Yeah, maybe. 10, 15, 16, the numbers are sequential enough that I can't forget it, which is good. And now everyone knows your password. Just the wedding date. <laughs> so now everyone else can help remind me for my anniversary so I don't forget. Um, it's actually a fun side story. My wife's birthday is like right around the same time as our anniversary. So one year I remember her birthday, but not the anniversary. I was like, no, no we, can we just celebrate that? And she's like, that was my birthday. I was like, oh, or something. Yeah. Oops. And you're still happily married, hey? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so 
the the type one is helping your people. So, you know, just a quick recap, multi-factor authentication is a way to help them protect them from social engineering. The password vault is a way to help make sure that there's not passwords sitting on post-it notes throughout the office or that like, something's really easy to compromise. And then on the business side, having that one-to-one, -one, like if you use a uh, LinkedIn, let's just use that as the example again for your company page, that shouldn't be someone's personal password that they remember if they move on how are you going to get in there, right? You have to do a, a password reset. That's really frustrating. Maybe you don't know the email they use to log in. Like now everything's in a common place and it's owned by the business. So as people spawn off different um, accounts at various websites across the internet for whatever, and I speak to the marketing things like Adobe Creative Suite or um, Canva or LinkedIn or whatever it is, Facebook Business Manager, those are all passwords and usernames that the business should own and have access to, right? Not not Susie at gmail.com because Susie is the marketing manager. Yeah, that's a super critical point, Eric. And to kind of layer on top of that, I also want to point out both MFA and some sort of password vault or manager are useful tools for at home and at business. So I do want to call it, you can do this for both, right? Eric mentioned like turn on MFA for your LinkedIn and your Amazon account and your Facebook, like the simple things that you have at home. Um, but MFA and password vaults also offer really powerful tools for businesses. So um, yeah, an individual can go in and turn on MFA for their Office 365 account, but really what should be done for a business if you have an Office 365 tenant from Microsoft is you should be enforcing MFA at the, level, at the top to make sure that every user in your organization has it turned on. Uh, and then the same can be said for password vaults, right? You, you can get a individual password vault account, account, right? A lot of them are like free for one-off users. You can just go get LastPass or 1Password. There's all kinds of them out there. Bitwarden is another one. There's a bunch of them. Um, and then they also make a business grade version, right? So to your point, Eric, you can store shared credentials in there. Um, this password vault is owned by the business. Usually they can be branded with your logo, et cetera, to make it feel like it's part of your organization. Um, and then people can store their individual passwords in there as well as shared departmental passwords that multiple and people prevent can access from one department getting into another, et cetera. So now it's controlled. Yeah. Um, right. So like me as a user, I can't see the password for all of our client systems or like our banking information. Right. But um, I can see our marketing folder and I can access that stuff, et cetera. So, yeah, it's a great call out, uh, very valuable tool for a number of reasons, but security being the biggest aspect of that. There's some ancillary benefits there. Type two, we have noted as changing your actual technology. I added the word actual in there. Um, you know, we call out only a couple things. You know, we're not going to go super deep on today's show. We want to keep these things uh, not too long, but we wanted to touch on spam filtering. And there's a couple of tools or uh, some tooling that we leverage at SwickTech, um, but there's some things that, you know, obviously there's third-party things out there that others can use too. We want to talk about the one that we're using because there's a lot of success with it. Yeah, so for spam filtering, we use Exchange Online Protection. Like you said, there's all kinds of third-party softwares that offer spam filtering, and they're all going to do the same things, right? They're all going to line up the same pieces of technology. Um, and within that, uh, a couple of the big items that we'll touch on, like you said, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on these. These are things that you should talk to your IT team and have them help you deploy across your organization. Um, but that spam filtering environment is it can be super powerful right so this is going to be what's going to be able to tell 
is this email spam or is it not? And what should I do with it? So there's a lot of tech that goes into that. There's um, things like sender policy framework, or it's called SPF, um, and DKIM and DMARC that you can use to try and help control that. Think of it like certified mail or a notary, right? So it's putting a stamp of approval on your email to say, yes, I know where this email came from. I know that that's a legitimate place, right? Like if Eric sends you an email from his at swicktech.com email address, um, we have something going out that says this email actually came from the correct Office 365 environment that Eric's email is like officially a part of. They, you know, it's marked. Yes, yeah, so I haven't been stamped, right? Approval. It's validating I am who I say I am. Yep. And then some of that is also on the other side, right? So when it gets to your tenant, your tenant can see, okay, this isn't, this doesn't look like spam. It looks like it actually came from maxwicktech.com. Um, there's a couple other details that can be put in there in the header related to making sure it's coming from who it says it's coming from, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then it will deliver it to your mailbox or, right, if it thinks it's malicious, it's going to throw it in your spam folder or put it in the quarantine, et cetera. Um, so think of it like that. It's like certified mail. It's like it's saying this email came from where I think it came from and it looks good. Uh, and then there's layers on top of that basic spam filtering that you can do as well. Um, things uh, in Exchange Online Protection is called Advanced Threat Protection. Um, I'm sure it has many other names, but essentially what this is doing is tracking links and attachments in your environment. And so there's ways to set up um, your Advanced Threat Protection to scan any links in an email, right? So someone sends a, a link to facebook.com, it's going to scan that link, make sure it's actually going to facebook.com, and then it will let you go there. If it's a malicious link and it senses that that website might have malicious content on it, it's going to automatically block it and let you know, hey, we scanned this, this link doesn't look good, you don't want to go to that website. So it's just not an active link by the time you get it. So it's already done all that legwork. You said there's a lot of tech in the back end. So on the user end side of things like safe links, it's either verified and validated that yes, this is safe, it's going where it's supposed to, and it's a safe website, or nope, we vetted it and it wasn't, so we're not gonna allow you to click on it. Um, which you'd be surprised. You can hover over a link in an email address uh, or in an email, like the body of an email text, and you can see where it's gonna go sometimes, but sometimes, it's that spoofed too, and it might look like it's going somewhere safe until you arrive there. You're like, oh no. Um, you can do some of that legwork yourself if you don't have this tool in place, but having this tool in place prevents more than you would think uh, from people going to places they, they maybe didn't intend to go. Yeah, it's super helpful. And then another aspect of that is scanning for attachments, right? So you can also set up your environment to scan for attachments that are attached to emails. Um, and review them and see if they have any malicious content or macros that would run in the background, things that you wouldn't want happening when you click on that Excel spreadsheet or Word document that you got from someone. Um, so we all know, you know, the general rule of thumb is you should be training people, don't click on an attachment if you don't know where it came from, right? But people are still gonna do that. People are still gonna see an attachment, think it's something that it's not, click on it. And if it has, a malicious file or link inside of it, now their computer could be compromised. So it minimizes those risks, right? There's So there's kind of three key pieces we mentioned here. There's, and these are really the three key pieces of an email, right? There's the who it's from, 
and like how it got to you. There's the links that might be in the email that you could click to go out to an external website or location to either that either have malicious files in them or are maybe trying to access your credentials or get you to type in your credentials to compromise your account. Um, and then the third version is attachments, right? The, that's the other piece of an email are the attachments that you could receive. So this is really a holistic approach to protect people from those malicious actors out there that are sending spam and sending unsafe links and sending attachments with macros and malicious files inside of them. Yep, yep. That's a good way to look at it. The three pieces of an email, these are covering all three aspects of that. Sender, attachments, and links, what's in the body, yeah. And those are things to pay attention to, too. In addition to having this tooling, if you do, great. If not, like you can monitor this stuff and look at it. Like, who is this email coming from? Is it coming from a known source? Uh, what is the at, you know, where, like, is it a legitimate website that it's at? We've done some webinars to break down how to identify, um, you know, where an email is coming from. And then same thing on the link side as well as the attachment side. Uh, so you know, we try to help people as much as we can train to identify that and then also build in the tooling too. So it's really, a, you know, we're, we're taking two steps in the right direction there to minimize the number of threats that are going to get through and then, you know, um, populated. Or detonated, cool. I think it's probably the better word, but anyway. <laughs> and there's and still then, part uh, of too that people can bolt onto this stuff. Um, you know, what we use is baked into that Office 365 tenant through uh, Microsoft. It's a product that we like, we've enjoyed. It's uh, It fits well with what we're doing and the, and the results are great. But there are third-party uh, software you know, that you can use too and others do. Like, I forget that Mimecast is a popular one that I've heard of that I think, you know, uh, you know we think highly of even though we don't use it. Uh, there's a couple others that I've seen out there too that are good that some enterprise companies use. Yeah, there's all kinds of them out there to do the spam filtering. And really the important thing is that you just, you have one of them and those features are turned on to try and protect your organization. Yep. Um, and then a layer on top of that, so not really related to spam and email, um, but another tool that's available both in the Office 365 suite and through other third-party companies is data loss preventions or DLP. Um, and the idea here, we won't get too far into this one, but the idea with data loss prevention is it helps you find ways to protect against losing your data or losing your content, whether that be malicious from like an outside source or maybe a disgruntled employee who's leaving the organization and is trying to like download or delete a bunch of data from your environment. There's a lot of, a lot of, um, knobs and dials that you can turn with data loss prevention to audit and monitor and control and detect uh, what's happening with your environment, whether that be, you know, OneDrive files or files on a file server um, to try and try and help you keep your data safe and protected and make sure that nothing gets out or or someone gets in. Yeah. That's a good one. And like what there's an anomaly detection that you can turn on. So if that you know, if we're using the salesperson as, as an example or downloading like their client list or something like that or, you know, proposal documents or what have you. If suddenly inside of an hour you see the whole list get downloaded, something's got to get flagged and say, whoa, this isn't normal behavior. Either they, you know, like what is it that they're doing? And it can give you some inference as to what's happening. So maybe there's signals that you can, you know, uh, discern. Well, if this, then that is a likely outcome or something like that. So. Yeah, we, and we've had we have that enabled at Swift Tech, and we've had scenarios come up where 
one of the, the engineers sees this light up, right? They get a notice that something happened and, and they'll reach out to the individual. We haven't, fortunately, it hasn't been like a negative scenario, right? It's like, oh yeah, I, I was doing something. I was moving some files around and so it was acceptable, but um, it's really good to see that that technology actually works and lights up those features and, and alerts to let you know something something is awry. Yep. Yep. Pretty cool technology. And that comes with the Office 365 environment once you get into that space. That's just one uh, example of a tool. Uh, there's plenty of, what I would say, tooling in there that, that you can access and turn on and like the knobs and dials that you had mentioned. It's yep. pretty powerful stuff. It's a world that, you know, you could do that stuff without being in there, but uh, it would cost a lot and you need an army. <laughs> And, and now you can, you know, use Microsoft's army to deploy that at you know, like a fraction of the cost or practically for free in comparison. Um, yeah, especially with the security focus. And then, you know, before we wrap up, we do want to call out some of the upcoming webinars that we have and kind of why we're doing them. Uh, you know, this publishing data, this podcast is going to get really close to the next one we have coming up, the Teams, uh, Microsoft Teams 201 webinar. Uh, that's going to be presented by Excel and Flourish, and we're going to co-host that. That's on June 10th at 2 p.m., so uh, that's right around the corner here. We <laughs> did, as I say, we did a 101 uh, back in March, and we had a great attendance for that, but it was really like an overview of Microsoft Teams, like kind of a what and a show and tell. This is going to be a how and, um, you know, how you can do this, how you can do that, and dive a bit deeper into how you can actually leverage it for your organization um, and your end users. Awesome, yeah, I'm super excited for that one, Eric. I know you said it's, we're, we're coming up a little close, right? It's like two days here, so I'm not sure this podcast will be a super useful place for people to hear about it, although they can probably find it and go back and It'll watch. be on demand too, so yeah. if it's something that sparks your interest, you can always check out our YouTube library for that as well. But yeah, Jennifer at Excel and Flourish has been fantastic, and I'm really excited to watch her demonstrate a lot of these cool features in Teams for people to kind of start to use it a little bit more and get used to it. Yep. And then the next one uh, beyond that is June 24th. Um, we're really rock <laughs> rocking these things out here. So that one's going to be Cybersecurity Secret Sauce, and it's Swiftex recipe for complete protection. So. A similar vein to this particular podcast, but a bit deeper in how we actually do that, um, defend our organization and the clients that we do work with. What does our perimeter look like uh, internally, externally on some of the, you know, the Internet edge, what, what equipment and hardware we're using, but also what software tooling are we using and what are some of our best practices and principles? And we kind of follow, um, you know, capability maturity model as we look at how we deploy our security. So. I don't know if there's any other, and obviously the why is very prevalent. The why is all throughout this particular podcast. It's because it's uh, top of mind, it's pertinent, it's important, and it's not going anywhere. And it's it's a scary world out there that you should protect yourself from. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's all we got. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Have a great week. Yeah.